The Inland Center at San Bernardino, California is exactly 2,220 miles away from the First Baptist Church of Gray. I know, I Googled it, and Google doesn't lie. We had no clue that it existed, did we? We had no care that it even existed. It's not that we are uncaring people, it's just the fact that we have no reason to care that there was a center in San Bernardino, California that, that catered to clientele who had developmental disabilities. We, we had no reason to care about that until Wednesday. On Wednesday, they had a Christmas party there. They were required to go. If they didn't go, they had to have a doctor's certificate that proved that they had a viable reason not to be at that Christmas party. Shannon Johnson, the brother of Rob Johnson, a deacon in this church, his brother was required to attend that Christmas party. He was sitting there at the table with a co-worker doing what we all do when we are required to attend things for a job that we don't want to be at. They were lamenting the fact that the seconds were ticking away so slowly and that the clock was taking forever to get to quitting time. And then the bullets started flying. And Shannon Johnson and this woman fell to the floor by the table. And Shannon pulled her close and put his arm around her and said, I've got you. And she credits that for saving her life. But Shannon was killed. His brother is a member of our church. Hooded cowards walked into that building that day. He took his last breath Wednesday morning with his arm wrapped around a female co-worker helping to protect her as those cowards spilled innocent blood on the ground where they knew there would be no one there to fight back against them. As of Friday, the news has been consumed by this act of unfathomable hatred. Politicians have been spinning this to their advantage, twisting and turning this event to fit their particular agenda, giving solutions that I most cynically guarantee will in some way benefit them and their constituency. If you think they have your best interest in mind, you are deluded. They have an agenda. I hold no this morning. I hold nothing but disdain for the political class this morning. Among our leaders, I hear both cowardice and bravado, both worthless characteristics that yield nothing but the taste of bile as it rises in our throats. I am disgusted. I am overwhelmed. I am angry. The New York Daily News carries on its front page this message. God isn't fixing this. As latest batch of innocent Americans are left lying in pools of blood, cowards who could truly end gun scourge continue to hide behind meaningless platitudes. And I agree with them on two words out of that whole statement only. The last two words, meaningless platitudes. I am asking us this morning 
I am asking you this morning, on the second Sunday of Advent, in the year of 2015 A.D., not B.C.E. or any other thing, but in the year of our Lord, 2015, do you believe God? Do you? Do we? Do we believe God? When Paul wrote the book to the Romans, he wrote it into an atmosphere just like the atmosphere that we're in right now. We're going, well, how could that possibly be? Well, it was a different time and it was a different place. They had not conceived of the ways that we can kill each other now. But they had their own special ways of killing each other and torturing and tormenting people then. And he was riding into a culture that was full of tumult, tumult. Paul addressed a lot of these issues in Romans, doing his best to help these churches exist and thrive in a world gone mad where he knew that if the members of the church started to participate in those same activities as the rest of the culture, that they would go mad too. And then in the 15th chapter of Romans, as Paul is explaining and talking, he comes to this little place where he, he wants to just give a little aside. In one of the translations I read, the translator actually put the verses in parentheses to show that this is a little aside, this is a, a secondary thought to sort of amplify what he had said up until this point. Paul says, essentially, that when you get it right, this is what it's going to look like. And he says that in these three little verses. We're going to look at one of those verses. It's sort of interesting, when I started out this sermon, we were going to do uh, verses 4 through 13, I think it was. Then it was 4 through 11. Then it was 4 through 7. Then it was 4 through 6. And when we finished up, it's verse 4. That's where we're at, verse 4. That's what we're talking about this morning. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. We're looking to that verse to answer a question for us. Do we believe God? Whatever was written in former days, he's talking about the scriptures, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. You remember instructions? Everything you used to buy came with instructions. Now when you buy it, you open a box up and the product is in there. And if you're fortunate, there's a web address. Or in my world, I, this is my measure of success, folks. When I, and I, I've said this before, I want you to understand. My measure of success, I will know that I have made it in life. That I have reached the peak of my financial career when I can have Fully assembled furniture delivered to my house. <laughs> I'm telling you, I want to sit in a recliner and watch two big burly guys drive up in a truck and unload a sofa and set it in my living room that does not have to have legs attached and screws put in or backs put on or plastic taken off. I want to be able to say to them, thank you guys, have a good day, and lay down on that sucker and go to sleep. <laughs> I have not made it. Everything that comes into my house and furniture comes in pieces. 
It comes with instructions of how to put it together. And I don't know if you've noticed like I've noticed lately, but those instructions are getting sketchier and sketchier. There used to be a time when the instructions would have words and pictures, and now it looks like a third grader pitching a temper tantrum, drew those things, and then they sent them to us so that we could put the stuff together. Instructions, instructions. What Paul says here, is that we need to in understand these instructions because instructions tell us how the designer of furniture, what I'm talking about, how the designer of the furniture intended for the parts to fit together so they will work best. Have you ever put something together, you thought you had it right, and then you lean back and look at it and you go, that can't be it. <laughs> or you put it together and you put something on it and it collapses in a heap, and you know that mm, that wasn't it either. Instructions tell us how the designer intended the parts to fit together so they will work best. Paul says whatever was written is for our instruction. Whatever was written was written so we would know how the designer fit the parts together so they would work best. Whatever was written was written so that we would know how God designed it all, how he put it all together, so that if we live it the way he put it together, it would work best. Folks, this is profound. You might want to write this one down. Whatever was written was written so we would know how God wants us to do life best it's that simple the king james version of the bible consists of three thousand wrong the king james version of the bible consists of three million one hundred sixteen thousand four hundred eighty letters making up seven hundred eighty three thousand one hundred thirty seven words which are knit together to form thirty one thousand one hundred and two verses which are divided into eleven hundred and eighty nine chapters which are divided into sixty six books which are combined into one volume that we call the Holy Bible, that we claim is the Word of God. Is it or isn't it? Is it? Really? If we claim that it is the Word of God, then we have to believe it. And if you believe something, you do it. Paul says we have the book for instruction, do we believe God? I picked out several verses this morning that lead us to that question, do we believe in God? And I start with the one that I have used over and over and over again because it is the starting place. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Listen to me. I know that God exists. I know that God is real. I catch glimpses of him in the stillness of the morning. I catch glimpses of him when I stop long enough to notice that I live in a place where there's trees all over the place. And there's animals that run through my yard. And when I drive down 129 coming to church, I see deer on the side of the road. And when I stop long enough, I realize that God created those things. I catch glimpses of God's face when I look at my wife. I catch glimpses of God's face when I look at my children. I catch glimpses of God every time that I stop long enough to catch a breath and be still and quit thinking and listen. I hear God's 
voice. And you may be one of those people that are sitting there saying, Randy, that doesn't prove anything to me. And I'm saying this morning to you in a way I've never said it to you before. I don't care what you believe. I do not care. I know there is a God. And I will stand on that and you can tell me anything you want to tell me about it. I don't care anymore. If it hurts your feelings that I believe this, then your feelings are going to be hurt. I'm not taking it anymore. I believe that there is a God and that God exists. God is readily seen in the complexity of creation and in the simplicity of how his creation survives day in and day out. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 say, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. There are those who do not believe, who call themselves Christian and are not. There are those who believe that this event never occurred. That it was not a historical event that a virgin was great with child. That it was not a historical event that God came to earth. That he came in the form of a child. There are people that don't believe that. I don't care. If you don't believe that, I'm sorry you don't believe that. I know that there was a Savior that came. I know that I need a Savior. Take a good, long, hard look at my life. It doesn't take a genius for you to figure out what I need in my life. And I can take a good, long, hard look at your lives and guarantee that I, it don't take a genius to figure out what you need. And I'm telling you right now, if you'll stop for a minute and look around at this congregation and pick out the most holy, most godly, most special person in here, somebody that we would all look at and that we would all agree that they walk with God, that they are the epitome, that one of these days I'll be like them, if we've got somebody in here that way, when they lay their head down on their pillow at night, they think to themselves, I need a Savior. Because we all need a Savior. We have this Savior business a little bit sideways, though. We think that we need a Savior to save us from our sins. And that's only partly right. See, listen to John 3.16. I memorized it, and I'm not apologizing this morning, guys. I memorized it in the King James Version. I'm not going to try to get anybody else's this morning. You get what I got. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, I need my sins forgiven. But that's not enough. I need a Savior to give me new life. My old life doesn't work. I don't need him to pick me up and dust me off and put new clothes on me and pat me on my rear end and tell me, there, there, keep going, because my old life doesn't work. I've preached that in the past, and that is wrong. I don't need that. I need a Savior to change me and make me brand new. Yes, my sins need to be forgiven. And he forgives them past, present, and future. But he comes to live within me and dwells within me because when he does, I know that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things. I can do all things. Do you believe the Bible? If you believe the Bible, this is what it says. 
I didn't make that up. That's not my, those aren't my words. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whatever I am called to do. When that moment comes, I'll rise to the occasion. Because I am new. I am filled with new power. I am dwelled by the power of the creator, the one who created this stuff. I am invincible because he is invincible. Oh, Randy, you're not invincible. You want to bet? Let me tell you what. You can kill this body. You cannot kill this spirit because he has made me new. And when the moment comes like it came for Shannon Johnson, we will rise to the occasion. And we might think that we may not rise to the occasion, but you know what? We're going to do exactly what God knows that we're going to do. And he's already taken what we're going to do and worked it into his plan for him to receive honor and glory because I've read the end of the book and I know how this thing ends and I can't mess it up. It is not a possibility. He's given me new life. I am invincible. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I have a goal. Scripture lays this goal out for me, and when I reach that goal, there's going to be a prize, and that prize is that I am going to sit down at the table with Jesus and the Father and sup with them forever. There are those who don't believe that. I'm sorry that you don't. I'm sorry that your life is empty without that. But I, you're not going to stop me from believing that. I'm going to believe it and preach it until the day I can't breathe anymore. When I reach the goal, there is a prize, and the prize is eternal life in Jesus Christ. This is how it works. He gives us all of this scripture for our instruction. And this, the verse goes on to say, we get that instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scripture, we might have hope. These people that went into the Inland Center wanted to steal your hope away. They've done the opposite to me. They've not stolen my hope away from me. They have helped me understand that my hope doesn't lie anywhere, but in Jesus Christ and as my hope stands on him, I cannot be moved. Endurance, he says. Do you understand endurance? We don't understand endurance. I love the commercial on television that talks about if you could eat one piece of broccoli and that would be enough. You could do one push-up. You could do one sit-up. If we, a lot of us, if we did one push-up, that would be endurance for us. <laughs> he talked, the scripture talks about endurance. This is going to take time, and it's going to take lots of it. You know, we think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying that this cup be taken away from him. And the Lord didn't take, the Father didn't take the cup away. He finished praying. He was arrested. He was crucified. He was buried. We look at that and say that it was 24 hours of pain. It was very intense, but it was very short-lived, we think. We could even include the three days that he was, he was buried in the tomb, and we can say that those three days was just three days out of a whole lifespan. It wasn't that bad. You can endure something for three days, but I want you to think about something. It's Christmas, right? You remember when Mary 
when Mary got pregnant and the angel came and said, well, your cousin Elizabeth is pregnant and she's with child and you need to go see her. And so Mary shows up. And when Mary walks into the room pregnant with Jesus, she greets Elizabeth who is pregnant with John. And what did John do? Do you remember? He leapt in her womb, didn't he? And what happened to Mary? Mary was filled with the Holy Spirit and essentially prophesied. Uh, not Mary, Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit and uh, essentially prophesied over Mary before Jesus was born. Before Jesus was born. Do you think that maybe, just maybe, because Jesus was God come to earth, that for 33 years of his life he knew where he was going to end up because see if he was God he was omniscient even then for 33 years my Savior walked on the face of this earth knowing that one day the sins of Randy Darnell are going to be poured out on me the most vile horrible thoughts and deeds and feelings and things that Randy ever did are going to be mine in 33 years, in 32 years, in 31 years, in 30 years, in 29, 28, 27, in one year, in six months, in three days. Oh God, it's going to be tomorrow. Help me stand this. It's going to take endurance. So that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scripture, I picked scriptures this morning that encouraged me. You can pick a whole bunch more because I believe these scriptures. I believe the scripture to be true. There are people, and you can read the making paper, who redact the scriptures, who go in and say, this doesn't belong and that doesn't belong, and this was said because this was said, and they take it all apart until there's about four words left, and the four words are A, N, V, and at. It's all mythology, it's all a dream, it's all what weak people lean up so they can have their strength. Well, believe that if you want to. I believe that it's the Word of God. I believe that for 3,500 years people have been talking and have been writing it down. And when you compare this scripture to the, to the newer manuscripts that we find, we find that there's very little deviation in there. There's a little bit, but not enough to matter about anything. Because God preserved it. Because he wanted his people to hear it. Because he wanted his people to know. Because endurance and encouragement of the scripture gives us hope. Christian hope is the confidence that even though we don't understand this and don't understand how it could all possibly work out to be good anywhere, that we know that it's going to. Because God is in control and God is going to make it work that way. It's God's word. It's God's word. Do you believe it? Because when you believe it, you have hope. And when you have hope, you have endurance. And when you have endurance, then you can stand up and do what you need to do when you are called on to do it. And when you do what you need to do when you are called on to do it, you win. Because he is in you and he makes you win. The New York Daily News lied and it lied out loud. God will fix this. God will fix this. There are going to be a whole lot of steps. There are going to be a whole lot of things that happen between now and then. But step number one is this. 
God's people must, must believe that his instructions are true. And that you are willing to stand on these instructions and take whatever comes because you do stand on these instructions. Do you? Do you? If you do, sometime very soon, you have got to find yourself throwing yourself on your knees and praying for our salvation. Because our salvation will not come through the stupid politicians that live in Washington, D.C. who do not care about anything but power and money. They don't care. The salvation isn't with Donald Trump. The salvation is not with Hillary Clinton. It's not with any of the three states, uh, whatever's a government. Somebody help me with that one. It's branches, thank you. It's not with them. The answer is not that somebody in this country has got to step up and lead us. The answer is, is the people of God have to get on their knees and cry out to God and say, enough is enough. We have gone our own way too long. We have not listened to you. We've been cowards in the face of people that stand up and say that it's a fairy tale. Believe it's a fairy tale, that's fine. I don't accept that. We have to land on our knees to find our power. And when we do that, we will not be defeated. And if we do not do that, you ain't seen nothing yet. It will get worse and worse and worse. Oh, Randy, don't you understand? That everything's got to get worse and the end times are going to come. Do you understand that if you'll look back through history, you'll see that the earth has gone through times like this over and over and over again. And you'll notice that there was a first great awakening and a second great awakening. And that there was a prayer rebellion, if I remember it was the, the, the name of what it was called when it happened. That God moved in those people and took that culture that was coming unglued and put it back together again and raised it to a new level of godliness that it didn't have before. It doesn't have to be the end of time unless God has ordained it to be. But I don't believe he has. I believe, as I have told you before, that we have turned our back on him and he has walked away. And he is saying, when you drop on your knees and you call out my name and you repent and you pray, you, had me, you can't even imagine what I'm going to do for you. Wow. That's an ordination sermon. Bet you never heard one of those before. Ordination sermons are supposed to talk about deacons and their qualifications and how the candidates should pursue these things. But remember my quote? The system that you have is perfectly designed to deliver the results that you're getting. And what did I say earlier about the Southern Baptist Convention? The days of flower and fluff and pomp and circumstances are over. 
Wesley and his family and all of us have to understand that Wesley is being called to serve in a peculiar time in history where terror and fear and chaos are laying siege in the hearts of man. Wesley Womack, a new deacon's job, is to stand strong and sow peace and sow order. And while there are men and women who will stand and say that God isn't fixing this, Wesley's job is to stand strongly and valiantly in the gap for those people while God does the fixing. By coming this morning to be ordained as a deacon, Wesley Womack is standing before all mankind saying, I stand for Christ. I am a new creation. I am filled with his power. I am invincible because my master has made me so. And I will do whatever I am called on to do to strengthen his church and to give glory to his name. I believe that's where we are in time. 